Hello everyone and welcome in to a very special episode of the Irish NFL show. I am delighted today to be joined by a man who, not only a former NFL QB, former CFL QB, now founder and CEO of Jenkins Elite, an NFL analyst, Tim Jenkins. Welcome to the Irish NFL show. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped up. Pumped up to be joining. Yeah, delighted to to welcome you. Now, I know you because obviously I talked to you in a Broncos guys before, but this is the the wider league. And I suppose we always ask our our guests this maybe to to kick off. Do you have any Irish heritage? Have you ever visited this little green island? Uh, You know, I'm kind of like a mutt in that I don't think either of my parents really like know their heritage. So my dad always says that we've got a little bit of Irish in us. So he always says that because I have like kind of a little bit of a temper, which uh, <laughs> always plays out well. So, no, I think we do. I think we do. But uh, no, I haven't I haven't done anything to where I really know. All I know is that basically I can claim wherever right now because because I haven't really found out. <laughs> Well, you're you're welcome to to visit Dublin uh, at any any stage you you would like to, and um, I suppose look, uh, I'm I'm familiar with you. I think Broncos fans and and possibly Bears fans on this side of the Atlantic are going to be familiar with you. But for our listeners who maybe are less familiar with you and your work, can you maybe give us some insights into your journey, Tim? Yeah. So I mean, well, I played right. So I I was a uh... I played at a little tiny division two school, Fort Lewis, and then, you know, had a cup of coffee with the Rams. Jeff Fisher ran me out of town, went to the CFL, you know, got fired again. So then started coaching guys. Um, so I always joke cause I do all these podcasts and people want to know about my tape breakdowns, but my tape breakdowns are like 9% of my day. Cause I actually run a company. We have, you know, 10 locations nationwide where we're training quarterbacks. So the tape actual, you know, that the, in terms of like my daily, workload is is very minimal but I do the tape breakdowns and honestly it started out as really doing a favor to Ben Albright right because they had someone bail on their show so I went on and and this was two years ago to talk about the Broncos offense and kind of hey you know where it should go and then naturally I just use terminology from when I played right I, I just always think like everyone knows what everything means and there were a bunch of people that tweeted me and were like hey man your segment was really cool but like, I don't know what you're talking about. So then I shot a terrible YouTube video in my basement because we were, you know, everybody's locked up for COVID. So I'm just in my basement shooting on my laptop and I have no idea how to do anything. Um, did a little tape breakdown that a lot of people liked and then started subscribing and then started to do it more because I think it's the game of football gave me so much and continues to give me so much that if I can do anything that makes it a little bit more fun for someone where they get to Hey, I watched this on Tim's breakdown. Now I know this is what my favorite team, you know, does with this concept. You know, it means the world to me if we can do that. So that's where it's at now to where I, you know, pump out a couple, you know, three or four breakdowns a week and, and enjoy coming on and and talking ball with, with people like yourself, especially, you know, I mean, it's so cool that there's an Irish NFL show, right? Like, I just think it's the, the coolest thing on planet earth that you guys are having so much success with it and that the game is, is broadening who who's enjoying it. And, Hopefully we can get a league over that or a division over that way. Like I always hear Roger Goodell float the idea, of, but um, that's kind of, I think, my, my whole journey to, to, to being here today. 
Yeah, and uh, you, you work with some pretty good uh, QBs and we will get to, to that in a little bit. But I suppose I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in picking your brains a little bit around that QB development piece, yeah. which, as you said, is kind of 90% of your day and, and then mixing that with the tape. Because like a lot of the time, suppose for, for a lot of fans and the way in which it's almost made out, right, is guys are going to have kind of no problem transitioning from college straight into the NFL and whatever a guy does in college there to be able to totally replicate that uh, once he comes into the the league um, without ever kind of talking about like the transition the intangibles all that sort of stuff and I suppose from from your per perspective, Tim, as somebody who, you know, ha has lived it a little bit and worked with guys, like what are the, the things that maybe fans um, sitting at, at home who are really interested, but they, they just don't hear the the insights from maybe the, the main networks? What are the what are the some of the, the pieces that QBs, young QBs really struggle with? Well, first, we probably need to be more patient with them, right? Which I know is always hard because we all want to win right now. So I think like, you know, I see it right now with Fields in Chicago, or you see it with Trevor Lawrence or even Zach Wilson, right? He had a pretty terrible game, and then all of a sudden everybody's ready to bury him. So I think one, we got to be more patient with these guys. But what they're gonna struggle with is they're gonna struggle with they're gonna struggle with like they've always had what we call PSL concepts, which is pre and post snap look where hey, you know, to simplify it, if it's cover two, we're gonna work the right side. If there's a single high safety, we'll work the left side, right? It's like a two by two concept where we have, you know, you know. You know, middle of the field open beater on the right, middle of the field closed beater on the left. They're going to struggle with those because they've always had them throughout their career. But what they've never had is a defense that really shows you one thing and snaps to another consistently. They see it every once in a while in college where you see a good team that, you know, can disguise, but they don't see it to the level that you see it in the NFL and where, you know, hey, maybe we're running one hybrid coverage to one side and a whole different coverage to the backside where we're going to try to cover up both these things. So I think. That's first and foremost where they're going to struggle. Teams can help develop that in terms of, hey, let's you know simplify these and do more pure progressions where it's one, two, three, no matter what the what the coverage is. Um, but usually that's where you see the guys struggle, and then you also see them with struggling with their run and and pass pro check. So like, hey, you know, we take for granted how hard it is to ID a mic, right? Where you hear those guys say, hey, fifty three is the mic they're not always IDing the actual mic, right? Sometimes they're IDing the Sam because they want the line to account for four down and, you know, the will and the back to get to the Sam, right? Like there's so many different variables in terms of who you ID. So guys are always going to struggle with that because in college, you don't have exotic protections from that standpoint. And then run game checks are something that they're going to struggle with, which is why you see veteran teams usually run the ball more, you know, effectively because those guys are sitting there and they're saying, Hey, alert, alert. And they're getting from one run play to the next, or they're, you know, kill, kill. They're going from inside zone to outside zone on the other side. Like they just do so many things that we take for granted um, that really just make it so much more complex. And then by the time all that's taken care of, like I'll never forget being in a huddle as a quarterback, as a rookie. And I'll never forget like Schottenheimer calling it into my headset. And it was something like, you know, twins, right gun, you know, F counter, scat right, you know, cat, F bend, X shallow, H sneak, kill the 50 OP. And then you're ready break and you get up to the line and you're like, what the heck did I just call? Right? Like you don't remember because there's so many things going on. And we, we take that for granted where it's like, these are young guys. They never have had play calls like this. They've never had checks and, and protection looks and all this kind of stuff they have to process. And then at the end of the day, you still have to 
sort through all that intellectually and then actually be physically gifted enough to fit a ball into a window that's, you know, three feet big. So that's where I think, you know, everything that that we take for granted sometimes that these really big time guys do week in and week out is, you know, you got to give these guys time to grow into doing that in the NFL. And Tim, I suppose I, I'm just thinking, and I'm interested again in your insights here as somebody who's been there, right? These guys, right, for the majority of, of QBs who come in, particularly the guys picked, you know, early on, they yep. have probably been the best player in, you know, their peewee league, in their high school, in college. They've generally been around guys their own age or within maybe, you know, three years and perhaps four years max in, in terms of, of a difference. And all of a sudden they come into the, the league where there are a, a ton of guys who are equally as talented, who know the scheme. And there are players who, you know, you might be coming into the league potentially as even as a 21, 22 year old. And you've got teammates who are 36, 37, 38, okay. who, who knows what age. You've also got guys who are trying to make a roster and need that paycheck. Because I think sometimes we see the big paychecks that maybe QBs or WR1s get. And we think everyone's on that. No, that, that, that is not the case at all. There are the minimum the minimum um you know and, and we is isn't massive and we know that for a lot of guys they're not in the league for a long time do you think that is something that you know doesn't get looked on enough in terms of that role because it's kind of unique when you come into a soccer team right as a young youngster generally you're not made captain immediately not all the responsibility but you come in as a qb you're the leader that is your team right yeah, I think, well, so two things. Let's put the leadership thing aside because that's like, we could do a whole podcast on that alone of trying to lead grown men when you're 21 years old, right? It's like almost impossible because a lot of these kids come into the league and they like barely have a girlfriend. And then a lot of their teammates are married, you know, two or three kids. What you thought was cool when you were, you know, a single guy in your 20s, I, I could speak from personal experience, right? When you're 31 and you've been married for a while and you have four kids and one of them is a daughter, you don't think the same stuff is cool anymore, right? Like you, so that I think that whole leadership thing is a huge thing. And what we don't look at enough though, and this is what I've always found fascinating is like rookies this year, Tom Brady has played professional football for more years than these guys have played football. So Tom Brady, when these kids were pups putting on their helmet for the first time, Tom Brady was already in the league, right? So we like, those are the things that we don't understand. And, and it's so impactful when football is your job, you get so much better at processing information and understanding the scheme that even when we just, we confuse major college football now because we watch these guys play in front of a hundred thousand people and it's on TV that it's really complex, good football. I don't think it is like, I, I know people like always get mad at me when I say that. I hate watching college tape because it's just there's offensive schemes that are cool, but it's not like the same level of being tactical that the NFL is. So we oftentimes mistake it of like, well, these guys just played two years of major college football. Like they're really three years removed from high school where you're just the best kid on the field and you you throw go balls and at most you face like two coverages, right? They're three years removed from that. And then they're playing in like in a little bit more advanced version of it, but it's nowhere near what the NFL is. So that's what I also think, you know, we take for granted is how much smarter you can get when it comes to football by playing professional football and having football be your job. And so, you know, we look at these guys in year one and we're like, oh, he's not moving the needle. 
and we got to move on from them. And that's just not the reality. They're going to look completely different in year three. Like a great example of of how much just being around pro football helps you for, as a quarterback is Geno Smith right now. Like Geno Smith is playing at an incredible level and people are like shocked by it as if you're not going to get markably better from when you're 23 years old, right? Playing in the New York market after having Tavon Austin and Stedman Bailey in college to then all of a sudden nine years later of maturity and being in the NFL. Like, of course he's completely different and a much better player. Like that's what these guys will turn into. If you have patience, just a lot of times we, usually turn them into career backups before you really can figure out if they are any good at, at playing the position in the NFL. And I suppose then kind of building on that and, and touching a little bit on what you said about like the lack of patience, but and some of that is right. We live in this, you know, social media age, 24 yep. hour news cycles, but I'm wondering if, you know, if QBs almost say, five six seven years ago suffered even more because um we th- there was still the lack of patience but now are we are and, and i'm i'm interested my sense is but i'm interested in hearing your thoughts josh allen and the bills um who i also another example is the fact that they lost joe shane and, and brian dable and they haven't missed a beat which tells you how good their organization is yeah. but the way in which they developed josh allen and the way in which he gets pointed to now have others kind of copped on i'm thinking of the way in which the eagles have leaned in to jalen hurts and putting the the players around him giving you know him aj brown giving him the line I'm thinking um, of what the, the the bears are are doing. And, you know, again, everyone kind of goes, well, why didn't they do this? But it can take time for, you know, and the, the bears changed in the, the off season. But we're, as we're recording this, we're what, 20, 30 minutes on from the fact they've gone out and got uh, Claypool. So giving him weapons, are, are we seeing the league kind of wake up to, you've invested all this in these young guys. They need a bit of time, but they they need more than just time. They need help as well. I, I think in a way, yes. But I also think like, I, I, this, is my, this is my take. I think we're, Buffalo is now getting a lot of credit for, let's say if Josh Allen in that last year where he tied it together would have had four terrible outings to start, I would not have been surprised to see them bench him and move on because the narrative up to that point in that season was not, we've got a dude. It was, of course, this kid isn't ready for the NFL. He played at Wyoming, right? Like that's what all their media was saying, not the team. But I do think like all of a sudden he starts out hot and then he has a great year. And now Buffalo is this organization that was patient. And it's like, yeah, sure. I would have been interested to see if they would have stuck by him one more year. And I also think Philly's more or less falling into the same thing with Jalen Hurts, where it's like, it was eight weeks ago that people were like, Jalen Hurts is going to get ran out of town. And even people in their building were like, hey, it's make or break for this kid this year. And then now he's just had a good year, right? So I think like, I more or less wonder how many other guys like that there are on planet Earth that we moved on, you know, like, like how easy would it have been to, you know, Josh Allen or not Josh Allen, but uh, Josh Rosen Tua. Right. I think Tua, to me, look at Tua now. And they had a top pick that they could have gone and gotten somebody. Instead, they traded to San Fran. They get a bunch of draft capital in return. But they really stuck by Tua in a way that 
some people were questioning if that was the right decision. Why not cut Bay with Tua and move on to a guy like Trey Lance, right? Like, I think a lot of times, not to not to sound terrible, I think a lot of times these organizations get lucky by they gave him one more year and then it turns out that it was the right decision. And the reason I say get lucky is because we forget if these GMs give these guys one more year and he turns out to not develop, how quickly they get run out of town. So that's the nuance of this whole thing is like, how many guys were, you know, okay, well, we, we, tr- we got rid of the quarterback and we bought us more time. Les Snead's a perfect example of a guy who then, because what did he do? He got rid of Sam Bradford, got Jared Goff, which bought him more time. If they would have sucked again with Sam Bradford when he was in St. Louis, they, sh- they it, you know, I don't even know if he makes a trip to LA, right? Like, I think there's a lot of things that, that we do in terms of, you know, just self-preservation from the GM perspective. But I do think I, I really believe this that by and large, a lot of these guys that start and have any level of success in the NFL, I really believe that they'll be successful if you put pieces around them and you and you build around and you kind of build around them and then give them time. I really believe that. Now, whether you can outlast that as a GM is another question. That's just a you know, there's so many nuances to it. I hope that the league is getting better in terms of um you know, being patient with these guys. My fear is though, is that my fear is, is like how close are they to running cliff out of town in Arizona? And then if you run cliff, how much further is Kyler Murray behind him? If he has another bad year. Right. And I think there are some guys that are, that are super talented that get run out of town a little bit early. Um, But I also don't know what choice you have in a world of like, you know, the other aspect of it is there are, you know, the Mahomes that just show up and play well, the Lamar Jacksons who go in there and just ball, right? So it's like, man, it's tough then to say, hey, we want to stand by this guy. But I do think, you know, two is an example of you, you stick by a guy who has some ups and downs. And then I think he's playing at, a, at an incredibly high level right now with McDaniels, I think, or McDaniel. I think, you know, Josh Allen's a testament, like you said, of, hey, a little bit of patience. Jalen Hurts now, a little bit of patience. He's playing well. So I do think, there are some case studies of like, let's be patient with these guys. But I also just think the reality is, is I do. I don't think if you were to really, and they never will come out and say this, but if you were really to look at the GM of Buffalo in his, in his soul and say, do, do where were you at before week one of, you know, Josh Allen, I think it was year three that he really made the jump. And I do think he'd be sitting there like everybody else saying like, I wasn't sure. And I think that's the reality of this is playing quarterback. There's so much that goes into, there's so much that goes into it from a skill set, right? Like just the skill of throwing a football with the level of velocity and spin rate and arm angle that you need to play in the NFL. That's already a base skill set. Then let's talk about like the mental aptitude that's needed. Like there aren't that many people on planet earth that can retain the level of information that say Aaron Rodgers can. Right. So it's like now you're talking about like, okay, we have two like mega skill sets that's needed. And then, oh, by the way, you also need to be able to be a great leader, which there's not that many of those in the world. So it's like there's just so much that goes into it. And I think that's part of what does make it so challenging. And um, and then why at the end of the day, on a given year, we have eight that play well. Right. Or it feels like there's eight that play well. Yeah, and I, I know I, I think I, I agree with with a, a huge chunk of what you're saying there. I think for Josh Allen and for Jalen Hurts getting to the playoffs in their second year, I think that gets under because 
with Josh Allen, everyone talks about, yeah, it was year three was the breakout year, but he led the team to the playoffs. In, and, and I think that with, with the t- your, your teammates, your teammates will see it more than the media or anyone else. And, and if they buy in, I think that definitely helps. But I suppose just building on, on that, um, Tim, and kind of that uh, that elite piece, right? The, 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 the eight we see. And I, I'm interested because we got to talk to Kevin O'Connell over the, the summer. The guy uh, now head coach for the Vikings and obviously a guy who knows QB, played it, uh, coached it. And for him, he gave a brilliant answer. Uh, it was genuinely one of the most interesting answers. He went on for probably 10 minutes. I think this was a subject he loved. But essentially what he, he said it boiled down to in his mind was what separated was accuracy, processing and toughness. And in toughness, he meant not just physical, though he said that was a huge part, but the mental toughness. The fact that if you make a mistake, that that can't scare you, that you you got to be able to put that aside and try the you know, to go out there again. And would you concur with that? Is there anything you you would add or or any any difference that you would see? I, mean, I love what he said. To me, though, I think processing, I think if you get to the National Football League, you have the level of arm talent needed. And to me, it's just all about can you process information and can you get us into the right look? Because that is just so it's so dang hard. And then I do think what he said about the mental toughness side of it, I, in terms of like dealing with all the questions you're going to deal with after games, managing your teammates well, managing the relationship with coaches well, like that all, that's extremely challenging. So yeah, I agree with that. I would probably drop accuracy. The only reason I say that is because I think most guys that get there, right, and get a shot to start in the NFL, have the level of accuracy needed. And usually when you see a completion percentage down, it's not like, wow, man, he read this look perfect and then just miss the throw, it's usually like you went to the wrong side. That's why there was a PBU or that's why you sailed. It was because you were trying to fit into a window that was the wrong window, right? Like that's what I see a lot of on tape where it's like the guys that we consider not as accurate as others. I don't know if they're really like in a parking lot throwing less accurate, right? I think it's more or less like you read the look wrong and now you're trying to force the ball up the sideline. Of course you missed it, right? Like that's where I kind of see the accuracy issues come in. Um, but no, I think what he said was great. And I think like, you know, the, the other thing that we don't talk about enough is like how good all these guys are. So I think O'Connell has a guy that I would say is a really good NFL quarterback. Kirk, the question with him though, isn't whether or not he's a good NFL quarterback. It's, can you pay him the amount of money he commands on the market and still build a competitive roster? That's the piece of this conversation that I always think is missing because like, in my opinion, there's a lot of good NFL quarterbacks in the league, but if you pay them accordingly, you will ransack your roster so much that they have to not be good. They have to be elite, elite across the board. Like look at Aaron Rodgers right now, what he's doing without help. They're kind of just like, they'll be in the playoff hunt because they have a guy who's elite elite, in my opinion. But it's not like you would sit there and say, oh, wow, he's playing, you know, this outstanding level of football because he doesn't have help. But why? Because he's getting paid whatever many, you know, 50 mil, or I don't know how much he's getting paid. But that's the conversation that I think is always missing is it's like, I do think there's more quality NFL quarterbacks than we think, but their roster then puts them into a place where it's just not even worth, like, hey, you had a good year, but your team sucks. 
right? And that's, so you're not even in the conversation. And that's the challenge is, is can you, that I think is what Seattle, I think is kind of changing. If this Seattle experiment goes well, there could possibly be a slight devalue in the quarterback market. I think we're seeing it in Carolina too, you know, with our guy PJ, where it's like, you got two first, you got two, what, top five picks? And you're starting a guy who is an undrafted free agent and you're playing relatively similar levels of offense, if not better. And if you can get that for $3 million a year, and then free up, you know, 37 million in cap space. There's some interesting moves that are going to end up happening, I think, because of what we're seeing with Gino and guys like PJ and guys like Heineke, where it's like you went out and you got Carson Wentz, who is going to cost you a substantial amount of money. And Heineke comes in the game and, and I think you're winning at the same rate. So that's tough for me because you go get yourself another corner you're going to win more than if you have Heineke, right? If you're winning at the same level rate with the same roster, now imagine if you could upgrade your roster because you have more cap space. So there's some interesting stuff that's going to shake out. But bring it back to your original question, I agree a lot with what O'Connell said. I do think like the accuracy accuracy thing is almost like a systemic issue from processing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and I think in fairness to him, I think he was kind of um, went went into a lot of that. And I suppose you mentioned it and there around PJ Walker, because that's a guy, you know, really well. And, and maybe yeah. for, um, again, listeners who, who don't know, can you talk a little bit about your journey with PJ? I mean, I've, I've been so his uh, he came out and did draft prep with us, which is where you kind of get guys ready for the combine. PJ didn't get invited to the combine, which is another travesty, but he, uh, but we had to get him ready for his pro day. So we have another company that does like the speed training and all that kind of side of it. We just do the quarterback development board. The thing about PJ though, man, is he is a really good quarterback. Like when you see him throw super impressive, when you see him on the board, super impressive. When I went to temple to put on his pro day, the way his teammates and coaches talked about him, that's what told you everything you needed to know about if that kid could play in the NFL because they loved him. They would have gone to war with for him. And I think you're now seeing that in Carolina where if, if your teammates love you and if they believe that you're there with them and you're in it with them, you do get a different level of play. Like people take it for granted because people always say like, you always hear former players and they're like, well, you know, I always gave it my all. And I, you do always give it your all in everything you do, kind of. But when you're there with people you love, there is a different gear you can hit. And anyone who's ever worked a job for a boss they hated versus a boss they loved could tell you that, right? It's not about if you still gave, you know, hey, I still came in at nine and left at five. It's like, what happened in those times, right? In that time, like, was my, you know, was I like my level of, hey, I want to go do this, you know, were you expediting everything or were you kind of like, oh, I'm just existing? And I and I think having a guy at the quarterback spot that makes everybody kind of expedite their process and, and work super hard is beneficial. I think PJ's that in terms of just like an all-time dude when you've watched his journey, right? Like the fact, like he, there's so much that you can relate to as just a normal person because he got cut like 74 times with the Colts, right? They cut him, put on their practice squad, then cut him again and bring him back, like, then he goes to the XFL and does really well. And then, oh, COVID cuts it short. So then he goes and signs with the Panthers. Everyone thinks it's just because of Matt, you know, because of his old college coach being there. 
And then guess what? You finally gave him, you've given him three weeks where you've developed a game plan for him. Two weeks where you really let him throw past the line of scrimmage, right? And he lights it up. And I just think there's, I, I think there's a lot of guys like that in the league. I think PJ's special mentally. I think he's, you know, that toughness aspect of it. I think he has never wavered in what he believes he can do. But I do think there's a lot of guys in the league that if you build a game plan for him, we like so often see backup quarterbacks get thrown in into terrible situations. Starter just went down. You had no reps. And then they suck. And we go, I knew he sucked. It's like, okay. Like, imagine if tomorrow your CEO died and you got dropped in his seat and you didn't know anything and you had no reps at it. Would you be a great boss? Probably not. Right. But if you had a week of where people explained what was supposed to get done, you know, hey, here's how we do it. Here's what we're going to do. What do you think? What's your input? You'd start to be better. Right. But we just like assume football players can can do it because, you know, of the contracts and all the other things that go into it. But I do think there's a lot of guys in the league that could be successful if you build around them and you build a game plan for them. And, you know, PJ is just like, you know, my kiddos call him Uncle PJ, right? He plays, you know, my oldest son doesn't know him as like this football player who plays in the NFL. He knows him as Uncle PJ who shoots Nerf guns with him, right? Like that's who that's who Mac thinks he is. But, uh, you know, his journey has been incredible. I hope obviously he keeps it up because I think there's no one more deserving. Um, and I think he makes him a more competitive football team. I really do. And I think the way he can extend a play and I, that throw that he made, people calling it a Hail Mary, I kind of get upset about because to me, that's not a Hail Mary. That's a freaking dime. So I think there's a, uh, he made it a pretty incredible throw that's going to go down as, as probably one of the better throws that, that we've seen from a Panthers quarterback. Yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely. And I can tell you it was the talk of the town uh, here in, in Dublin, in London, just just about everywhere. And I just, because we, we didn't maybe touch on coaching and just in relation to PG, you've talked about a little bit there. Like to go from like three, three, three weeks ago, right? It's, he comes in and he has a, a, a game where he did, he doesn't throw beyond one yard past the line of scrimmage and then he you can you can see clearly what he can do so it's not the guy's ability it's like the the game plan so you know it, how how important is that that building on what you've talked about like how important is that relationship and that trust like steve wilkes has clearly quickly come to trust pj right but not every coach is maybe going to come to trust their QB that quickly. And, you know, how important is that uh, head coach uh, QB relationship for success? It's really important. The OC is really important too. But what I think people are taking for granted with the Panthers specifically is the Rams game. What did they have? They had Christian McCaffrey. They had Robbie Anderson. So they had an offense talented enough that you should be able to move the ball, which adds what to the coaches? Pressure, right? You, you pucker up a little bit because, hey, even though we have our you know, third-string quarterback in here, backup quarterback, we should be able to move the ball because we have this superstar standing next to him. Then what happens? You trade Christian McCaffrey, you trade Robbie Anderson, and they get better. And to me, the reason is, is because you finally saw a little bit of effort, right? Screw it. Let's go ahead and try to put some of these things in and go make plays. And that's what not enough NFL teams have when they're zero and zero, right? I, when I watch tape, what I think the best offensive coordinators have is a little bit of screw it. Like they don't care. 
It might look a little bit stupid if it doesn't work out, but we're going to do it. Kellen Moore with the Cowboys, a great example of all these flash looks they do. It's just fun football, right? And then you have Sean McVay does it all the time. Kyle Shanahan does it all the time where they drop these like one-off plays. Then you see all these other teams that go 6-11 and 11 every year or they go 7-10 and 10, and they play good traditional football. Why? Like it doesn't make sense. Like you have to have a little bit of effort in you. You have to stop playing so conservatively. And guess what? The Carolina Panthers started doing that and they've been competitive in two football games. And listen, I obviously am biased because of P.J., but like the reality is, if they keep playing in the way they're playing right now, offensively and defensively, they have a shot to steal that division, right? And if they steal that division away from Tom Brady with, with how loaded Tampa Bay is, I think you got to, Wilkes has to be your head coach moving forward, right? Like you can't go out there and do that with what they've given him. But I do think it's a testament to like what happens when you start to play a little bit looser. It's like, it's that comfortability there it's really hard for people this is my take especially in athletics to be the favorite all the time that's what i think we don't appreciate about tom brady he has been at the top of the mountain and then he's continued to be relentless and not scared and puckered up from it it's really hard for people when it's like man i'm supposed to we're supposed to have a good offense this 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 that's why you see the conservative play calls in my opinion when you have that little bit of underdog mentality where it really doesn't matter what i call that's when special things start to happen. And to keep that when you do have success is also really hard. And that's why, I, you know, I, I think a lot of these guys that we see that have a lot of success in the NFL from a coaching perspective or playing perspective, we don't appreciate how hard that is when you're supposed to be great and, you know, to not then tighten up and call it conservatively. Um, but I do think that's why Carolina is now being so aggressive. And I think, like you said, you know, there's the relationship side of it, which is they obviously trust him more. But I also think when you're put against the ropes and you trade away, you know, one of the better running backs in the league, you know, there's no other option, right? You have to trust them. You got to go out there and kind of, kind of let it rip. And I think you're seeing a benefit from it. And I hope more NFL teams do that when they have all their personnel. Yeah, necessity is the mother of all invention, as they yep. as they say. Uh, to you, this man, for listeners, he has been more than generous with his time. I wanted to talk about the Panthers because we haven't talked about them enough. And I said, who better to come on? I said to Tim, could you come on for 20 minutes? It's the last <laughs> minute. He he agreed. He's now been on for 40. Tim, <laughs> I, I you are in, incredibly engaging and entertaining. For people over here who want to hear more of your stuff, listen to breakdown tapes that you talked about. Where can they find your stuff? Yeah, so they can follow me on Twitter at T Jenkins Elite. Um, that's where I like put out some quick stuff, or they can go on YouTube. It's called All Things QB. Um, and yeah, we do some long form breakdowns, and I try to comment back and, and tweet back as much as I can. He does. Um, so if you have any questions or anything, hit me up. I'll do my best to get to you. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. It's been a blast and and I'd love to come back. And I'm it's awesome to see your guys' thing grow because it is so darn cool what you guys were doing back with the Broncos and now doing for the whole NFL. It's it's big time stuff. You're a gentleman, Tim. Appreciate you. And yes, yeah, so definitely get you back on in the not too distant future. Can't wait.